afternoon, Michael Malice here. Let that be your welcome for the next hour. We have with us our continuing crossover episodes with Dave Smith, host of Part of the Problem, one third of the Legion of Skanks. Well, maybe it's not one third because Big Jake accounts for heck half. Um, and star of the Liberty Half Hospital. the funny, half the weight. <laughs> yes, that's the joke. Um, and all the humor. Uh, and, and star of the Libertas special. And my good friend, Dave Smith. Here's the thing. I had been concerned of two possibilities. One, that we'd run out of things to talk about, or maybe we would just be repeating ourselves. And two, that the audience would get sick of this. In fact, numbers are getting higher and higher. And I am really looking forward to these talks a lot myself, because I'll be thinking of things, and I'll be like, I can't wait to hear Dave's perspective, because even though you and I are coming at things from the same place, our perspective is often different. And because for me, if I know someone is coming from a, a, a basis that I agree with, I will be very interested in hearing their conclusions, especially if their conclusions are different from my own. Because I'm like, okay, this person isn't talking out of their ass. They're seeing something I don't. And that's extremely helpful. Uh, one of the funny stories when I was working with uh, UFC champion Matt Hughes on his book, he was talking about the importance of a corner man. And Matt uh, was very smart in his approach to fighting often. And one of the things he talked about is there's two types of cornermen. There's a guy in the corner cheering you on. Yeah, you're great. You're a champion. He's like, I don't need that. Like, I know I'm great, right? Like, that's not what I'm thinking about in the moment. He goes, I need to know his foot is exposed. Grab his ankle. You know, give me, I can't see, but you can. And this is extremely useful information. So I guess that's kind of my long setup to why I've been enjoying these conversations. Something I enjoy a lot, much more than you do is messing with the audience, okay? <laughs> yes. it, I enjoy it enormously. Um, what is the one topic, and this is gonna be hard to answer off the top of your head, that you enjoy talking about that bothers them the most? Hmm, that is interesting. Right? Because I wanna talk about that. <laughs> I, I wanna- well, there, huh, I'm thinking. Well, you know, there certainly is like, um, there's this group of, of what what me and Tom call the loser brigade, yeah, like the the LP members who are just the worst, and they're just there's like I don't know, there might be like ten of them or something like that, and the chairman of the LP, and have, yeah, actually, let's, let's so interrupt. Let's get, talk about that. Yeah, well, they get so upset about you know, like they'll take anything you say out of context and call you names, and I will confess that there's been a few times where I've been talking about something and I know this is going to piss them off. And I do just enjoy that. Like I, that's, that's the little Michael Malice troll inside me that, that I have. Yeah. You and Sarwar got into it over the weekend. I saw on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Can you uh, tell us what that was all about? Cause it was not obvious to me from the outside what was happening. Well, let me preface this by saying that very quickly, just that, you know, the history of, of me and, and Sarwak is that I literally just got, I'm very defensive over my friends. This is yeah. just true in, in general. It's a quality I've had since the second grade. Like I, if you want to fight one of my friends, you're fighting me too. And that's that. Um, and he was uh, just vicious in the way he went after Tom Woods and Jeff Dice and other people who are, aside from just being people who I, I admire and I've read their work, like these are friends of mine. And kind and, people, and, especially yes. Tom. Yes, genuinely very good people. And he was uh, going after them with really vicious, uh, slanderous attacks, a, a very SJW style of not dealing with somebody's, you know, uh, uh, 
arguments or point of view, treating them in the least charitable, you know, light possible and, and calling them names and really horrible names. Um, and so I got into it with him. We went back and forth. Gene Epstein suggested we debate at the Soho Forum. Nick immediately accepted. So I was like, okay, let's do it. We debated. Then he came on my podcast. We debated again there. And I was quite happy to leave it at that. And in fact, when he announced that he wasn't seeking uh, uh, the chairmanship for another term, I said on my podcast, I go, that's it from me. I'm never going to say another nasty word to him. And I asked my audience not to as well. I was like, I'd ask you guys, let's just leave this alone. It doesn't matter anymore. He's yep. not coming back. Everything that needed to be said was said. Yep. We had our debate. I stand by what I say. He said what he But the problem is that he just won't stop attacking friends of mine who are good people. And I, I have gotten drawn back into it a, a time or two. Um, so just this most recent, just the other day, it started with him one of the the members of the loser brigade was tweeting something that tagged me in some, you know, silly thing, calling me racist or something like that. Um, and then Nick responded with what he always does, this kind of veiled, vague, but, but, you know, you can tell, like, you know, aggressive. yes, passive aggressive, but calling me racist. Um, and so he said, I, I, you know, I'd have to pull it up to actually see what exactly it was, but it was something about me, Re amplifying white supremacists um, on Juneteenth. And I, I was just like, what the fuck? I, I didn't even know what he was talking about. But then I guess he was referring to Stefan Molyneux tweeted a quote of mine and I retweeted it. But I was, I mean, I'm retweeting my quote. It might as well be me tweeting. I mean, it's like, I don't understand. I, like, I, I, this is all just too ridiculous for me. Um, but anyway, and then he just kind of kept talking shit and we kept going. Okay, so he said, here, I have it here. Amplifying white supremacists seems like an odd way to commemorate Juneteenth. But he marches to a different drummer. In fairness, he was amplifying a white supremacist who was amplifying him. So it's synergetic. Um, That's not what synergetic means. Or maybe, did I read that right? No, you read it right. He's not using the word correctly. Yes, uh, okay. Um, anyway, so that... Anyway, and that's how I got sucked back into this thing. And we go back and forth. And it's kind of, it's, it's amusing in a way because he, I, I have a much bigger following than him on Twitter. But in addition to that, it, like the, the, the amount of retweets and stuff isn't even proportionate Engage to right our fo followings. I mean, his, his fans just, his following just is not engaged with him at all. So it just ends up being like a thing where he's got like six likes and 130 replies to, like he's not even getting ratioed it's like but, out of this world ratioed but let me take a step back let's pretend i didn't know either of you mm -hmm. i know you i know you i know you quite well um nick i met once we had a uh, uh, argument but it wasn't heated it wasn't personal it was it got it was intense but it, it was uh, um uh, at no point were below the belt uh, things were thrown or insults personal okay uh, and I was talking about him about Tom and so on and so forth. And the point I made, and I would just make to most people, is I like to steal man opponents often, meaning take their point of view and present it as strongly as possible. Because then if you debunk that, uh, then everything under that follows. Not always, but it's a useful technique sometimes. And I said to, to him at the time, I said, let's pretend for the sake of argument that Tom Woods, of all people, is a hardcore white supremacist. Okay, let's pretend that. It, I go he never talks about race. 
So what, even if what you're saying is true, it is not accurate to position him as someone who is pushing these ideas forward. And at, at either at the time or later, again, for the sake of argument, pretend later, I went to Tom's page and looked at his most recent shows and none could be construed remotely as having to do with racial issues at all. Not even in a regular libertarian idea about like, oh, you know, free enterprise zone to the inner city. I mean, it, it was it was nuts, which actually is really funny because as a sidebar, just about factual but not truthful, I described to the corporate press. I was reading Rubin's book, Dave Rubin's book, and he mm-hmm. had mentioned, um, he started quoting PragerU, which is like the boomer con hive mind. And they said, well, did you know that the first Republican platform, like seven of the 11 planks were related to equality for races? And I'm like, this is worded kind of interesting because this is 1856. Do you really think they're saying equal rights for blacks and trying to get president that way? And I look and what they were counting factually, but not truthfully as related to equal rights for blacks are things like, we don't want to have slavery in Kansas. It's like, sure, that's related, but (laughs) someone saying, I don't want slavery is a long way from saying, I want black people to be treated fairly equally and given the right to vote and so on and so forth. And if you look through, it, it, it's just like none of these things uh, um, kind of added up to what they were trying to position them as. And this whole, uh, um, now you've got me on a tear. Sure. Because this whole boomer con, uh, just recently, they're going after Margaret Sanger, who was the founder of Planned Parenthood. And they always like to talk about how she's a racist, she's a racist, she's a racist. And I get how you might want to demonize someone who you don't like. That's fine. But the thing I pause is, don't you find it ironic that this tool, which was used very successfully for you and everyone you align yourself with for a long time, which has now become much weaker, you're the first ones to take that gasoline and put in the tank and be like, no, I think this is going to be a useful tool. And it, 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 it's, I find it maddening. And I think it's a testament to the lack of strategic thinking among conservatism. I was on Jesse Kelly's radio show today, and I had a great expression, which I'm going to start beating to death. And I said, conservatives for a long time were the battered wives of politics. Like their job was to take it, and maybe they were upset about it, but they knew their place, and they knew you know, that, that they were being abused, but that's just the nature of the relationship. And at a certain point, people said, you know what? I'm not going to keep getting punched. I'm going to start punching back and let's see what happens. At the very least, I have my self-respect. And I think that's what ended up happening in recent years. So when you see these relics of, of boomer con thinking, it's just like, where are you uh, psychologically? Yeah. Well, it's also very, you know, to use the example about going after Margaret Sanger um, and calling her a racist, it is, it, it's like you're embracing the weapons of the group you're fighting that are designed for them to win. So you, you want to say, if somebody goes after Thomas Jefferson for being a racist, you want to say like, oh, well, that was the time. And this was a different, you know, there's a different way sure. you have to yeah, judge yeah. people of this time and look at all the good things that he did. But then you're going to go after somebody for their opinions on race in whatever the year, what, the early, very early 1900s, right? Yes. Margaret Sanger would be like yes, 1910s, 1920s. Uh, yeah. so, so, I mean... It, it it does just seem like a we either there's one standard we apply across the board or we can apply today's standard to sure. 100 or 200, 300 years ago. Um, but it does seem like a weird tactic. I also think that, um, you know, if you 
if you are using the accusation of racist, and um, as you said, pointed out with, you know, and I've, I've made this point before too, if you're saying about Tom Woods or the Mises Institute or Ron Paul or people, it's like, okay, even granting you, let's say they were all secret racists. Well, wouldn't you have to like congratulate them for really avoiding ever talking about race in a nasty way? I mean, there are these racists who have these secret racist views and they have these secret racist uh, followers and they've just been preaching non-aggression to them for, for decades. That seems like pretty cool racists, I guess. But once you've expanded the word to cover so much ground, it, it becomes useless. And now it's not a tool to fight someone who re- nobody, as, at least on the right half of America, nobody even blinks at the accusation of racism anymore. It yes. means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. And if there was somebody who really was horrifically racist and you tried to use that term to like call attention to other right wingers, like, hey, this guy's really racist, it would, it would have no effect at this point because you've, you've boy who cried wolfed your way out of anyone thinking there's any meaning to this. Where, you know, someone like me, who's I, literally like I'm a Jew from Brooklyn who's in the comedy world, who's in, I, I've interacted with everybody. I've had friends of every different race that you, you could imagine, um, even, the, even the low IQ ones. And, you know, you, if you're going to call me a racist, it's like, ah, uh, okay. It, it's just also a really trigger but with Sanger because here's, there's, this, there's two things going on. First of all, like, let's suppose you tell someone, this is a very common thing on the internet and social media. If you say, someone says, oh, Hitler starved millions of people to death in Ukraine. And you go, no, 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 that wasn't Hitler. It was Stalin. Why are you defending Hitler? Right? Yes. Like, that's like where their brain goes. And with her, uh, some guy from the Blaze just today was tweeting out about she's a big racist. And I go, why do you think she worked so closely with W.E.B. Du Bois, who was the head of the NAACP? He founded the NAACP, which is an organization which still exists today. And the guy goes, oh, because uh, W.E.B. Du Bois was an elitist and he wanted to weed out undesirables. I'm like, do you really think that W.E. Du Bois sat down with an, with an organization that wanted to exterminate black people and is like, you know what, maybe we can kind of, you know, uh, do a hat trick here and, and work it out. I don't like when people are, I don't expect the left to know their history because their narrative has been taught to us since kindergarten. So they're going to know their history in a sense because they know this fairy tale where America starts in 1619 and then the Civil War and then Martin Luther King and then here we are today. Like they, they know the history, right? They have a history. So it is always incumbent on conservatives. And I, I've been seeing this like on a daily basis now. Conservatism is about studying the lessons of history and applying them today to know what they're talking about when they start talking about history. Margaret Sanger never performed an abortion. She was against abortion. But in their boomer con brains, Margaret Sanger equals Planned Parenthood equals pro-law equals uh, abortion. And they're all the same thing. They're not all the same thing. And they cannot wrap their heads around this. Um, and then it's like, oh, so you're happy babies are being killed. This happened last night to me on, on Twitter. There was some incident with NASCAR. I didn't even, some noose thing, some racist thing. I don't even know. Some guy named Bubba, I think literally was his name. And someone said, from uh, Jesse Smollett to now, Whenever minorities in this country claim they're attacked by racism, people don't believe them. Like that guy brought up Jesse Smollett. And I go, when Jesse Smollett came out, we were told 
that to question him meant that we were racist. Everyone said, you have to fall in line. Oh my God, this is crazy. And people respond, they go, oh, so you're saying racism is over? It's, it's amazing uh, to watch what blue-pilled people are uh, capable of. Yeah, and there's, there's also something to that little bit there. that w- It's amazing how quickly history is rewritten. Yes. You know, like with the Jesse Smollett thing, it's like, oh, yeah, the first three weeks of that where everybody believed him in the establishment and all of Hollywood was coming out. They couldn't virtue signal fast enough about how terrible the state of America was, how racist we were, that there were these Trump-supporting gay hating black hating you know criminals roaming around the streets of chicago this was all he was completely believed and then the story collapsed and then it gets rewritten as like nobody believed or or whatever the new version is it's amazing how quickly this can all go away and it's it's for anybody who's like has a little bit of a memory or like uh, excuse me this wasn't you know 40 years ago it's like i remember exactly what happened and it wasn't like that it's very, it's, and, and then you can imagine how easy it is to rewrite history that actually is from right. 200 years ago. Right, and we saw it just this weekend. Friday, uh, uh, left-wing Twitter was freaking out because Trump's having a rally tomorrow and it's gonna have not so social distancing and this is gonna kill a lot of people and this is a, a massacre and this is a genocide. Saturday, uh, the crowds are under what they expected. Ha ha ha! Trump's a loser. He can't even fill the stadium yeah. overnight, like literally overnight, and no acknowledgement. Uh, oh, like you know, I'm glad that it's under whatever. And it's also funny that they're saying you're saying in your words that Trump is a loser because he can only get thousands of people to risk their lives for the hope of seeing him speak. What a pathetic loser! <laughs> Yeah, right. like this is their logic, but it's not. It's not even their logic. It's just that yes. it's it's just a power play, and that's like what you have to. And it's it's hard for even people like I consider myself fairly red pilled, but there are levels uh, of red pilling, and like like you've said before, sometimes people OD on them. Sometimes yeah. people take the whole bottle, yeah. and that's not good for you. Um, you know, you have to find the uh, the healthy balance. Um, but it you start to realize that. None of the things that these left-wingers, and that's not saying every left-wing person, but the way these causes are used, they don't believe any of it. It's all about gaining power. It's the only thing that makes sense. And it was, I got to say, it's particularly, even for someone like me, it really was like, like my jaw was on the ground when they first started coming out and saying that the protests are okay because racism is so bad. You're like, holy shit. Like, you're going to admit that this whole COVID thing was just a power play? Like, you're just, you're just nakedly putting that out there. Like, we right. don't actually care about this. We just saw a different avenue toward gaining power, and that's harnessing this Black Lives Matter energy to get, you know, Joe Biden elected or whatever, to take power away from Trump, whatever the plan is. But it, it was never about the, the actual concern of this virus. And obviously, this was all just about damaging Trump. So when we thought he was going to sell out an arena, we're going to say that's reckless. And that's uns- as soon as he didn't sell out the arena. Well, that narrative doesn't really help us anymore. So it's out the window. And the new narrative is look at the embarrassment that Trump couldn't sell out this arena. And it's not the logic. Actually, if you're just trying to grab power, the logic is airtight. Here's some other things. Let's talk about the two terms, racism and conspiracy theorist. Uh, for a long time, I've been trying to explain to my audience that you are having two dialects of English. 
These people don't use language in the same way you do. So A, trying to speak to them on your terms is not uh, beneficial. And second, your frustration is a function of you. You know, if there's, a, if the word like we, the word W-E in English means us. In French, it means yes. If some Frenchman is saying we, 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 and you're wondering who us is, that's on you. This person <laughs> is making the same sound, but they're not speaking the same language. Racist means someone who is opposed to progressivism. But it's those two terms, racist and conspiracy theory, which often get overlapped because Alex Jones, who's clearly a conspiracy theorist by every definition of the word, they often just throw in racist there as well because in their heads, all the bad people are basically one big mob or unwashed mass. So if you're going to be one, you're going to be the other. You know what I mean? It's just very interesting. And they just assume, oh, he must talk about you know, race yeah. all the time. Um, but, so conspiracy theory was for a long time. You don't need to bother listening to this person anymore. You just have to throw it out. It's like playing a card, in, uh, playing a card game. As soon as that card hits the table, it's done. Conspiracy theorists, we don't have to have further engagement. Over the weekend, they've started talking. I'm, I'm glad I'm talking to you about this. That openly, 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 blue checks, that uh, these fireworks that are being set off by cops or whatever are like a false flag to provoke further conflict. And there's no shame in going full Alex Jones when they're doing it. Right. Yeah, they don't actually have a problem with conspiracy theorists. And of course, if you need any more evidence, check the Trump-Russia collusion story for the right. last you know, three years. Conspiracy theories are fine when they're the approved ones. Um, but there is, there, there's real brilliance to that tactic. I mean, yes. it's really has been very effective for a long time. By the way, before Alex Jones, I mean, really the John Birchers were the oh, yeah. ones who got this label and they, they would always get called racist. But if you actually go back and listen to any of their stuff, it, you really have a tough time finding true racist shit. It's very conspiratorial. And I mean, to a level of like conspiracies that I don't buy into, you know, like Eisenhower is a commie who's a card carrying member and he's here. They're putting fluoride in the toothpaste or whatever in the water to poison all of us, you know, like really conspiratorial stuff. But it's not racist. It's very hard to find. But they would always just get called that these racist conspiracy theorists. Um, but it's very smart because racism, it, it plays on your sense of decency. Yes. Because it, you know, this term racist, a very useful, broad term that invokes images of uh, or thoughts of genocide, of segregation, of slavery, of really horrible acts of violence against you know, minority groups, but then it can also cover you just bringing up statistics that are uncomfortable or you having a preference of who you date or who you hang out with and things that actually are not aggressive or violent or really that bad. Um, they're just maybe not the best thing, but not really not the worst thing. And in some cases, perfectly fine behavior. So it's this broad thing that can, it's like a boogeyman, the conspiracy stuff, you know, it's only a conspiracy if it's, a conspiracy that is not what they like, that is not, that is going to like, uh, you know, uh, um, undermine their worldview in some way. So yeah, this stuff, conspiracies, you know, I mean, look, the conspiracy that cops are sitting around planning on, on how to murder black people is, that's a conspiracy. Not to say that that disproves it. There's not a lot of evidence of it, but you know, like, yeah, so there's lots of conspiracies and particularly since these riots and protests have begun, any conspiracy that kind of gets um, black people off the hook 
has been really embraced. So the conspiracy that it's all outside agitators or that it's all white Antifa kids in some examples, and now that it's cops setting off fireworks or firecrackers or whatever, these are all very much welcome. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating to watch. And let me give you the, the audience proof that this is about power, or not proof, evidence, uh, as opposed to actual um, uh, concern. Let, there are things that you and I can discuss framed in the following way, which would be thought-provoking and, and room for discussion. For example, I'm having trouble reconciling my view of anarchism as the ideal with a national defense system. This would be a long conversation for us to have. Another one would be easy for us to have would be, as we've discussed in the past, I'm having trouble reconciling anarchism and private law with a system where children are kept safe from parents who are evil and wish them harm. You would be like, yeah, let's talk about this. These are tough issues. If you, and I'm going to give a line for everyone to steal, because this, this will be free trolling and cause meltdowns, watch. If you tell someone, pretend you're blue-pilled or, or on the left, I'm, or anything, I'm having trouble reconciling my support for trans rights with my belief in open immigration from Muslim countries. Just put it like that. And if it's something like we had just said, you and I could have a conversation. Yeah, what are we going to do with these kids? I mean, CPS isn't great, but I don't want it to be a thing where the mom can do literally anything she wants to the kid. That is a nightmare, you know? And we have a talk. This one, it's not going to become a discussion. It's going to become a shrieking fight, which yeah. is why it tells you it's not really about these principles and how they would be implemented in reality. This is about what can we say in order to get you to do what we want to give us further power. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the, the, that's a really great uh, example. But I, I will say that it does, I don't, you know, I don't want to make too much of like a Fox News BoomerCon point myself. But, you know, if Mitt Romney said... <laughs> if Romney was president, we wouldn't be in this mess. No, but did you see, I mean, have you seen the numbers uh, coming out of, of Chicago over the last two weekends? I have not. It's been horrible. I mean, there were, I believe, oh, I don't want, there were over 100 people shot on Father's Day weekend. Oh my God, is it literally 100? Let me pull up the numbers. Hold on real quick. I had an article up on my That's phone. horrifying. And I actually think I can find this. Yeah, 104 people were shot. Uh, 14 uh, killed on oh Father's God. Day weekend. Now, the previous weekend, there were 85 people shot and 24 of them uh, were killed. So less shootings, but more deaths uh, yeah. than this weekend. Deaths were down, but not from any effort, just yeah, yeah. not as good shooting, I guess, because um, there were more people shot. Now, amongst them was a three-year-old boy, a 13-year-old girl uh, were both killed. These are black kids. And I'm, it's just pretty astounding to see this whole conversation about Black Lives Mattering. And like this gets like very little attention. I mean, like a fraction of the amount of attention that, say, the guy in Atlanta getting shot yeah. um, was. And, and even when so it, it is like, you know, do black lives really matter? Or is it only when it fits a certain narrative that black lives matter? And maybe part of it is that. We don't know exactly. You know, like, it's easier. If you just see some maniac cop kill someone, it's easy to kind of say, okay, what we should do. What do we do to solve Chicago? Yeah, good I mean, guy, that's bad a, guy, right. That's, yeah. 
it's, it's a tougher situation. Um, but no one, but the fact that we're not talking about it, I mean, not that no one's talking about it, yeah. but that it doesn't get nearly the attention. I mean, that's certainly not helping. It's, it doesn't demonstrate that you really care about black lives. I mean, these fucking children, these are, these are kids who just happen to live in this neighborhood. And this isn't like, there's nothing they did that's on their response, on their end you know, some responsibility. Like even if you're committing like a petty crime and you resist arrest and get killed, you shouldn't have gotten killed, but there's something about it that you could have some, you could do something to avoid that. But some three-year-old just getting shot because he's in the wrong neighborhood. Like there's really nothing he can do. And I don't know, like, like you said, there's, there's very little nuance in any of these conversations. So what, you know, the, you know, the one in Atlanta, where this guy got shot, who it looks like took the cop's taser and shot the taser gun back at him. You're supposed to just fall right in line. Like that's the exact same thing as somebody being killed in cold blood where it's like, well, listen, this is at least layered. There's at least a little bit more nuance. And, and then things like this just get ignored. And, and to me that does seem like, yeah, this is more about power than a true um, concern for black lives. Hey guys, Michael Malice here. I want to tell you about Sheath Underwear, one of my favorite sponsors. Uh, if you go to sheathunderwear.com and use code MALICE20, you get 20% off. What is it? It is the underwear I wear all the time. This is your chance to get in my pants, people. Uh, Sheath uses moisture wicking technology to make underwear that keeps everything breathable and comfortable for you downstairs. There's a bunch of different styles. But what they are, they have a dual pouch. One for one part of your anatomy, one for another part of your anatomy. The first time I saw it, I'm like, what is this? And now I wear it 24-7 because it's so comfortable. It was invented by a soldier serving Iraq. So you can imagine there, the boys downstairs get very, very hot. He developed that prototype when I Kickstarter and launched Sheath. And that's where they are supporting our show. If you go to sheathunderwear.com and use promo code MALICE20, you get 20% off. They ship anywhere in the world, even Iraq. Support our sponsors because they support us. And Sheath will support you where it counts, the boys downstairs. It's like an inverted kangaroo pouch for your Joey. that keeps your junk from sticking to your legs. She'sunderwear.com, promo code MALICE20. I was with my nephew over the weekend. He's three. I just taught him how to do a thumbs up. He had to use his other hand to get the, you know, it's so cute. He'd never seen a top before. I have a little, even though he's going to be you know, on dreidel pretty soon, dreidel duty. Um, he couldn't figure out how to make it go, but it was like a little, it's uh, actually it's right here. It's this one. I got this from JJ Lawson. It's a little top that you have on your desk and he couldn't figure out how to make it go. We we're having fun with that. So to try to imagine the mother of a child that age having to bury him is, and, and also suddenly, like I, I, we can wrap our heads. I mean, it's unfortunate we have to if a kid like that gets sick, you know, leukemia or these other diseases, and then it's just, you know, there's a mechanism there. But one day he's playing with a top and the next day he's gone is something that I don't think any of us um, can wrap our heads around. Yeah. And it is a really, and again, yeah, not to sound boomer calm, but it's, it's amazing that he's like, well, what are you going to do? Not have three-year-olds get shot? Like, what about George Floyd? And it's like, you know, I, 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 because, and here's the other thing. This is why I always say the corporate press, the end of people, and why I'm comfortable calling them evil. Because this is something, they will tell you a story if they have an answer that they want you to believe in what they want you to do. A story like this, which doesn't really have a takeaway, which is not really clear, 
It's not like there's anyone who's saying, I'm for this. You know what I mean? It's like, you're going to have to point fingers somewhere or something. And then it gets complicated because, you know, they don't want to deal with that because that's too yeah. messy. And it's, and it's like this, this it's, it's, it's just, just disgusting. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. And look, I, um, like, I, I, I look, I have my own like thoughts on this and stuff that I've been talking about for a long time. And I know a lot of libertarians uh, talk about, look, like uh, the welfare state rips families apart, sure, the sure. war on drugs empowers these criminal cartels. And so I have all my views of like what I'd like to see happen that I think will help the situation. But, you know, life is very complicated. There's a lot of, the, you know, there's a lot of different factors that go into these things. And I don't know, I don't know for sure that repealing those policies would solve yeah. all of these problems. In fact, it's probably oversimplistic and wishful thinking to think that it would solve all of these problems and that nothing more uh, needs to be done. But in reality, what's going on right now and this has a lot to do with lockdowns, the economic damage. It has to do with the relationship with policing. But crime is up in New York City. Now, it's nothing like they'll say like shootings were up 355 percent or something like that. It went from like 12 shootings last year this week <laughs> to 55. But oh, that's wow. still a troubling yeah. trend. Yes, I mean, yes. that's like that's not good. Yes, we remember what the city was like in the 90s. It was yes, worse. And that's not good. And and look, the shootings aren't happening in your neighborhood. You know, they're happening in, in black neighborhoods. And so it's like, okay, this, is this whole situation going to actually lead to anything better for black communities? Like, does anyone even care about that? It, it, it's like nobody's even going to, you know, I, I could be against the police and against the state monopoly on defense security, but... If we're just defunding the police tomorrow and this ends up resulting in a nightmare situation in black neighborhoods, does anyone want to think about that? Like, do they actually care or is it just like, nope, we've got our ideology. We're going to push this forward. And that's that. Uh, there's something called vice signaling, which I've coined, which is something conservatives like to do because so much of conservatism is about just reacting to whatever the left puts forward. So instead, of, it's just amazing how they're often more concerned about drag queen story hour, which is voluntary. They say once a month, the library as opposed to those same ideas being taught to your kids five days a week by someone who maybe not be a man address in a woman in a dress, but the ideas are being, and they better repeat them and parrot them or they're going to fail and get left back. Like which of those is more pernicious? Oh, well, they're both pernicious. Yes, I know they're both pernicious. I'm just saying which is worse. I had a fun poll over the weekend, which caused a lot of people to spurg out and I had to block a lot of them because people can't handle these hypothetical questions without avoiding their squid ink. And I'm going to ask it of you. And I think my answer might be different from yours. And it was, it's a pretty nuanced answer I have, even the question is not nuanced. Okay. And I'm going to ask the question very specific, very, I use the words carefully. Okay. Uh, and I want to hear your thought process because you're going to bounce around between the two choices. If you had to repeal one, would you repeal the first amendment or the second amendment? And then there's like, oh, no, first of all, here are, the, here are the answers that got people blocked. Neither. <laughs> but I think had to means, go away, number one. Number two is, you can't have one without the other. Yeah, you can. We hereby repeal the blank amendment. Voted. Passed. Done. So uh, uh, both of those can, are not answers, and I don't want to hear it. If you're uh, too smart for a poll question, which is hypothetical, you don't like this intellectual uh, wordplay or intellectual exercise, that's cool. Go away. Yes. I don't need you to stand here and be like, I'm too good for this. Well, I'm not too good to show you the door. 
Yeah, you can just think, then if you're too good for it, just don't answer and go away. Fine, you don't have yeah. to make the comment. This um, isn't literally a vote where like, would, you press the yes. button and it goes away. <laughs> and believe me, they've both been pretty weakened anyway. So yes. there's no, um, I, I would repeal the first before the second. I, okay. I'd What's keep, your keep the guns. The, look, the, to me, when it all comes down to it, at the end of the day, what we're concerned with it's is all about force. Guns. <laughs> all about guns. At the end of the day, it's all about guns. Yeah. Uh, but it is. It's, it's about, this is about force and whether people are going to be able to enforce their will on you. And an armed population is going to be more likely um, to uh, either resist that or uh, intimidate people from actually trying to enforce their will on, uh, on them. I said the first because I don't think the Second Amendment has actually been effective at restraining attempts at gun control, but the First Amendment is often used legally hmm. to restrain attempts on censorship. So one has actually some bullets in the holster and the other one is a dead letter. So I'd rather keep the one. That's, um, a, that's a, I get your point, but that's a strange argument to make against the uh, Second Amendment, but I get your point. But no, but I mean, like, You're if right. I have to repeal one, like, which one is actually being used? It, it's, and I, the, that's what, you, what, what spawned one of my tweets. I said, um, I would want to remind my constitutional conservative friends that it is easier in this country to get an abortion than a gun, despite the wording of your favorite document to the contrary. Yeah, that is a very good point. That is a very good point, and it's it's. Uh, but I agree with you. Guns are more important than speech. But I'm just yes, saying. Yes. So that's probably why I went there. Yeah, you may have convinced me on that one actually, because there there is no question about that. That the Second Amendment, I mean, is it's better having it than not having it at all. But it has been incredibly weakened. I mean, if you had the same prior restraint on speech that we yeah. have on guns, we would say there is no First Amendment. This is a joke. That to right. even pretend that this is an amendment to the Constitution is a joke. If they were just like, okay, you can say whatever you want to, but there is a 12-day waiting period. And a license. You can, and a license, you know, before you can post I mean, And if you're criminal, you don't have the right to free speech. And or also, religion. right, and if you speak um, without getting the license and going through the waiting period, we could probably put you in jail for 20 years for saying yeah. the wrong thing. You'd be like, this is just an insult that this is even written down. Right. So- that, that is a very good point. But again, when, that, that's why I enjoy these poll questions. But anytime you start having a question that involves some kind of circuitous thinking, people spurt out and they well, it, yeah. that can well, that's what. And I'll tell you, that's what really bothered me about that guy who was shot uh, by the cops in Atlanta. Um, as I'm blanking on his name, but that people, it really was like, look, this is so obviously a nuanced yeah. case. This is not black and white. Um, no pun intended. Uh, but this is not. Now, this guy was, n look, people be like, he didn't do anything except get drunk. And you're like, well, I mean, he was in his car and he was passed out. So he clearly was driving his car, not with two glasses of wine in him, but driving his car hammered. And the cops get there and they find this and he blows on the breathalyzer and he's over the legal limit. Now, these cops don't get to just make up what the rules should be on the spot. They have to bring this guy in at this point. That's their job, right? Yeah. And then he starts fighting them and resisting arrest. And he grabs one of their tasers and fires it back at them and they shoot him. Now, I'm not saying that's the perfect way to handle it, but that's far from just a like, oh my God, this guy did nothing wrong. But so what the conversation in that case should be, in my opinion, is something like you go, well, look, we should really think about when you need to arrest someone. 
Yeah. And why can't we have a situation where, okay, you found this guy, he blew positive on the breathalyzer, you have his license, you have his ID. Why can't he go home in an Uber this night? Call, he asked for an Uber, call him the Uber, go home. He has a court date coming up in the future and there will be a process of something like that. Like, why is it? Because once you create the situation of we're arresting this person, Cops also can't just go, well, we're arresting you, but he decided he didn't want to be arrested. Right, right. So he's going, you can't really have that situation. So, but, but it's not a black and white, the cops are hunting black people or the, what happened here was com- completely okay. It's just, but no one wants to actually, you know, have that it, conversation. It, here's the basis of a disagreement that's fundamental, which I don't think is something that can be bridged. Like in abortion, the basis is, okay, if a woman is three months pregnant, is this murder of a human being. And yes or no, it's really hard to, there's no Venn diagram there. I had a friend, a lefty, and we were talking about the Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman shit, right? And he was, there was no, he wasn't disputing anything. Like he acknowledged that at a certain point, Trayvon had George Zimmerman on his back and was bashing his head against the concrete. Uh, We saw the, the wounds and was basically said to him, you're gonna die tonight, right? And he got shot and killed by Zimmerman. And I said, what would you have someone do in that situation? And his, he said two things. One is, why do we expect a child not to act like a child? Okay, we can put that aside from here in terms of whether Trayvon's a good person or a bad person. That, that, I think there's something to be said for that to some extent. But two is like, well, you, you don't have a right to kill someone, you take the beating. And it's the same thing here. It's like, you know, at what point is lethal force acceptable? Some people would say, with a straight face only if there's an imminent threat to your life and some people say if someone is tasing me let's pretend the taser has a maximum that it can't kill you right i'm not gonna die but i'm not going to risk that because then i'm incapacitated and i have no problem pulling that trigger and these are two completely different perspectives on how we should act to preserve human life and i don't think that there's any um bridge between the two yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Um, and it does seem like there's, I, I wonder sometimes when, when people take the position that, you know, like you, you should take the beating, like George Zimmerman should have taken the beating or you should take the tasing. I just wonder, it's like, if these people have ever been beat up right. in their life before to actually understand what that is. Uh, like if when you're, if you're, I've had my nose broken in a fight before and it is brutal. Yeah. It is really, first off, you know, have you ever been hitting your nose before? It fucking hurts. Nose is being broken, like really hurt a lot. When your nose is broken, you, it gushes blood. Like it's, it's, you didn't think there was this much blood in your face. It's unbelievable how much it blood. It, it, uh, your eyes weld up. You, you're very teary. You can't really see very well. So you can't see. Your nose is bleeding. It's very hard to breathe because blood is fl- fl- flowing down your throat. It's when someone's on top of you bashing your head and you have a broken nose. I mean, this type of situation to say that you're now going to make a decision about whether or not you're in a place where you can use this. You're not really thinking things through the way you are when you're forming a tweet and deleting and rewriting a sentence. That's that's not what's going on here. And and same in these, you know, this is very heat of the moment. And uh, I agree with you. It is hard to bridge that gap. I definitely fall more on the line of like, no, you don't have to take a beating. You don't have to take a tasing. If someone is the aggressor in a situation, you, I, I, I'm pretty liberal with my um, allowance of you to, you know, defend yourself. Like, I think if someone breaks into your house, you have a right to kill them. I, I don't think you have to sit there and figure out whether or not they were a threat 
to, to oh, actually I, I, kill you. I agree with you completely. And it's, but again, this is a kind of, the th- coming from Eastern Europe, uh, it is hard for me, and I've talked about this with you in other times, and it's something I'm kind of on eggshells about because it's the kind of thing where there is an asymmetry about having this conversation. The American idea, Western idea, maybe you'd say, that every human life is special and unique and precious makes no sense to me logically or especially emotionally. So when I'm hearing someone say this, I don't really know how to talk with them. And I also feel that if I am laying my hands on the table, they go to attend very quickly and it's like, oh, you want the Holocaust and you're a Nazi and then all this baby killer. And it's like, I'm just saying that, you know, at a certain point, yeah, it's not wrong to use deadly force against someone who is, let's suppose, like raping a woman where there's no, he just got up, raped her violently, left. And there was no possibility she was going to die. There was no possibility she's suffering grievous harm, except maybe psychologically. And if like someone tackles him and there's a fight, and he gets shot. I'm not going to be like, oh, what a tragedy. I'm going to, I don't think that that's a bad outcome. Yeah. No, not at all. I don't think it's a bad outcome in that case. And I kind of like the idea of other would-be rapists knowing that we all accept that as a society. I'm very comfortable with that idea of everybody going like, oh, yeah, you can get killed and nobody will, you know, uh, uh, feel bad for you. And then they're like, oh, blah, 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 slippery slope. And I'm like, yeah, I agree with you. That is a slippery slope. And you have to be careful with that slope. But there's lots of things where most, and it's like, then it becomes, well, who are you to make that decision? And the answer is literally everyone has to make that decision. You are making a decision every minute of every day. Am I going to interact with this person? Am I going to value their life and time? Am I going to care? Am I not going to care? Well, it's, it's, what, what's infuriating about that is they go, well, who are you to make that decision? And it goes, who are you to make the decision that it's not okay? We right. all have to make this decision. Yes. Who are we? We're people. And we're the only ones. You're making a decision too by not making that decision which is basically that what a woman just has to accept getting raped and not kill the guy because I'm sorry, you, you, it hasn't met the threshold yet of what I consider okay to kill somebody. Like that's, that's not, you know, not engaging in that is also making a decision. Yeah. So it, it's, it's tough. Hey guys, Michael Malice here. I want to tell you about our new sponsor, which is near and dear to my heart, Paloma Verde CBD. If you go to palomaverdestore.com and use code Malice, you get 25% off. What is it? You've been hearing a lot about CBD products. This is your chance to try it, see for yourself what all the fuss is about. And it's a great company that got started because the founder's dads had chronic pain issues issues, and solved them using CBD. Isn't that a great idea? If you go to palomaverdestore.com and use code MALS for 25% off, uh, they also have a program where you sign up for the rewards program for future discounts. They've got the gummies. They've got the balms. They've got all sorts of things in every iteration that you want. And this is your opportunity to try high-quality CBD from a store that supports high-quality programming like this show. Go to palomaveridestore.com and use promo code MALICE and you get 25% off. Let's get back to the show. Um, What is the most annoying thing that you've been seeing on social media in the last week? Hmm. Well, you know, social media is like 95% just annoying. Would you say it's 95% annoying to you? Uh, no, maybe not. Maybe that's unfair. Maybe 80% is okay. more accurate. I'm trying to think. What's the most annoying thing I've seen on, uh, on, on social media? I would say, hold on one second. Sure. Sorry. Um, 
I guess, I mean, I guess for me personally was just, you know, the, the accusations <laughs> lobbed at me and my friends of racism yeah, or whatever, but that's a boring about, answer. Let's talk, about, let's talk about that with Star Wars because if you, cause there's something I'm not understanding. So if you are saying from your perspective, which is, I'm sure is true, that you have a lot more engagement, you have a lot bigger Twitter audience, he's verified, but that doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> why are you taking the bait and engaging with him and giving him heat? Well, it's a uh, there. It, it's a weird relationship, um, and and this is true with other you know outside the libertarian uh, people. I, I I have you know like just social justice warrior types who will you know call, call me names, and I'll occasionally go back with them. Sure. And and people who have way less you know smaller followings than me, and I, I've gotten that before. And I do you know that what, too. Yeah, but you know what'll happen is that it's kind of like so they get what they want, which is they get you know some more eyeballs on them than they would get otherwise. But I also kind of make my tribe a little bit fiercer and I get them going and they enjoy watching me kind of slam them. So it's weirdly a relationship that kind of works out. I tend to, I ignore a lot, um, particularly if it's just, if it's really, really stupid and it's not somebody who I deem worthy of responding to, I I tend to just ignore it. Um, But sometimes I'll, I'll give it to them they they suck me in like if something just bothers me enough um and particularly it is like my weakness or achilles heel it's when they're going after my friends uh that's like i just like like look i even on a just unrelated thing i find it just disgusting when people throw their friends under the bus or don't have their friends back i've i've seen like you know um people uh, you know, when like Chris D'Elia or some of these other comedians get accused and they're like, you know, immediately throw them under the bus. And you're like, dude, that is like despicable. I don't know what to say. If any, if any one of my good friends was accused of something horrible, like if you could be accused of uh, like a triple murder and if, and if you go to me, you go, dude, I did not do this. It's like, you didn't do this. That's the worldview I'm operating in now. You didn't do this. Uh, or if I did friend. it, you pull me aside privately and you're oh. like, what the fuck? You Publicly, what's the benefit? I'm going to just you, dig in my heels. Well, if you were just being, you know, just destroyed every day, you know, you're trending on Twitter because you did something horrible and you go to me and you go, yeah, I, I did it. It was horrible. And we're talking, I might be like, dude, what the fuck? Like, how could you do that? Publicly, I just keep my mouth shut. Yeah. I mean, like, what am I doing? What am I, I'm going to jump in on a mob and hit my friend while he's down? what is it so i can like save my own image at the expense of my friend like no you just don't do that it's horrible so i just that's usually when people will be able to pull me in is if they go after my friends particularly when i know they're good people and i know it's it's a false accusation um that'll that'll get me involved but i I really just look at it as kind of a stupid fun thing takes a few minutes and then you go back to your life yeah, I had someone uh, uh, last week who was uh, uh, one of Harvey Pekar's artists, and, and you know, he was just coming at me. I didn't talk to him in literally 10 years. Uh, Pekar died in 2010 on my birthday, July 12th. Um, and he was just being very kind of tedious, you know, blah, all your Trump people are the same. It's like, it's, it was really kind of, it also informative to see what he was perceiving. Uh, at one point he said, uh, your audience seems to be the only one all, your audience seems to think they're the only ones who have a problem with the mainstream media. And I'm like, no, it's just, I, no, they don't think this. I don't think this. Like, it's very, it's, it's, it's a trope among people on the right and some people on the left in general. It's very odd. And I had to block him, unfortunately, because he came after one of my followers that was being uh, sneering and disrespectful. Um, so that's my job. 
so I do kind of like what you're saying. I didn't engage, but I'm like, no, I'm not going to have you around. I'm making things uncomfortable for people who uh, follow me. So that that was kind of a, a, a disgusting moment in, in the past week. Um, did you see that clip? This was a few days old and I missed it of Biden giving this whole kind of town hall and he just had his mask hanging over his ear like yeah. a sock when your roommate's getting laid <laughs> yes, I on the doorknob. And I saw it and I said, how is this real? If Trump tweeted this out, they'd call him ridiculous as yeah. a Photoshop. Yeah, it's uh, I, I saw I didn't watch the thing, but I saw pictures of it and it was uh, that's. That's that's Uncle Joe for you. I, I, I'm baffled by the fact that, you know, he's up in all the polls, Biden, that uh, people think, given what we saw four years ago, that it's a surefire thing that Trump can't win. I don't understand. You would think that once bitten twice shy, you got a fool made of yourself four years ago. Let me check my notes and see where things went wrong. That the next time around, you'd be like, all right, I, I got an ass made out of me last time. This time I'm going to hedge my bets. Yeah. Well, you would have thought that Trump getting elected would have yeah. caused a lot of people to take a deep breath and go, whoa, what did we miss here? Yeah. Like, wow, this is really something. This is a, a watershed moment of sorts where the entire media has told you this guy is not to be um, – forget not to be voted president that this guy you cannot go anywhere near this guy and that's 63 million people did um but they didn't have that and it really is to their detriment this is is a good thing i think from our perspective but it really is to like um the fact that they just it was all russia and racism and all of this stuff this uh this kept them from having a correction which might be a good thing because I don't yeah. know that we really want the system to have a correction and figure out a new way to rule over us. Um, but it is, it's, it's pretty uh, shocking to me that there's still that, well, we got the polls, uh, you know, it, we're up big in June, so we can't lose this thing. I mean, that seems crazy to me. I also think it's pretty crazy on the other side that I've seen a lot of like confidence uh, from Trump supporters that this is a sure thing that he's going to get reelected. And I, I think that, you know, a lot of Trump supporters get like a false sense of security from the fact that Donald Trump brags about how it was a landslide against Hillary Clinton. I mean, it was not. I mean, he won every single swing state by incredibly razor thin margins. It was something that if the election had been done two days later or two days earlier, he very possibly wouldn't have been able to, to recreate it. And this, you know, there's so much up in the air right now, but what the, what the economy is going to look like by November, this is, I, I really think it's up in the air in anyone's election right now. Very hard to predict. I, I don't understand how either side would feel comfortable. I, I, I think the so much is going to become clear in the debates. And I, I don't, under, I mean, that is going to be just epic, beyond epic. Okay, speaking of debates, we're out of time. Hmm. Dave, what has been your favorite part of this episode? My favorite part of the episode was just when it started because uh, you had some internet problems. I was worried we wouldn't get to record today. And then as soon as you were on, I was like, I'm going to get an hour of malice and I'll be happy for the rest of my day. Well, you are welcome. Welcome.